0: For long, many, if not all of us, will be enjoying many blessings and then enjoying the leftovers. And usually when I re-preach a sermon, I'm not re-preaching it to my own congregation, but that's what I happen to be doing this morning because I was asked by a friend of mine who is from Brazil uh, to be a part of a, a live stream conference, if you will, on the subject of the Psalms, and I was asked to speak on Christ in the Psalms. So with the help of his translation into Portuguese, of which I know very little, if not any, I preached this message yesterday uh, to what appeared to be a congregation of two, but virtually I know was many more. But I trust that these leftovers will be just as satisfying to you as I hope that they were to others. I know that these matters, as always, are food for my soul in the first case. And so let us consider the subject of Christ and the Psalms, and to that end, consider with me the verse that is found in Psalm 22 at the very point where there is a transition, a transition from David's cry of abandonment and his outpouring of his agony and his tortured uh, mind, all of which we know as we are going to explore in greater depth, typified and prophesied the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a distinct gear shift, isn't there, the minor key gives way to the major. And this is the first verse of that section. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. The Psalms are a precious gift to... The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even brothers and sisters who don't share our practice of exclusive psalm singing can testify that that part of the Bible is is an oasis to them. Oftentimes you look at the, the, the sides, the opposite of the binding, the sides of their Bibles, and it's a little darker in that band, isn't it? Because they're frequently thumbing back to these precious psalms. Well, the topic that we will consider with God's help, Christ in the Psalms, uh, can be treated in five ways, and that is how I would like to approach things. First, Christ is in the psalms prophetically. Second, he is in the psalms subtly And surprisingly, third, he is in the Psalms in his person, fourth, in his work, fifth and last, he is in the Psalms as head and members. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? Christ is in the Psalms. Now, I trust all of you know, boys and girls, that the Psalms were not written in the days in which Jesus walked this earth. Jesus himself sang these Psalms. It's unarguable. This was the hymnal. This was the songbook that Jesus sang from, as did all Jews at the time. And so when we read in uh, the Gospel of John at the Passover, that he's, he and they sang a hymn. Even uh, critical and secular scholars acknowledge that that's a reference to the hymnal that David gave by the Spirit to the church. Probably scholars think that at the Passover, it was tradition to sing from that section of the psalm, Psalm 113 to 118, called the Hallel. So just like you and me, in a way, when Jesus came to church, he picked up a psalter. Now, maybe not literally, there's some other circumstances that we might talk about another time, but the point is, this was his songbook that he had received from his parents and their generation, and from his grandparents and their generation, and going back hundreds and hundreds of years. So Jesus is clearly not in the Psalms as they were first written presently. David wrote most of the psalms. That's why you'll even see, boys and girls, on the very cover of perhaps your psalter, the Psalms of David in meter. Hundreds and hundreds of years. This was the well-worn hymnal of the Old Testament church. So, when we say Christ is in the Psalms. He was not in the Psalms presently at the time in which they were written and collected and sung by God's people in the Old Testament for hundreds of years. But he was there, and he is there prophetically. That is to say, All throughout the Psalms, we have prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when the Lord Jesus Christ rises again from the dead and he begins to make his appearances, he's talking to some people who are a cocktail of fear and horror and the greatest... Loss of hope and and disillusionment to these disciples who had thought that Jesus, he has to be the promised one of all the prophecies. And yet, we saw with our own eyes that he was crucified, hanging between two thieves. But Jesus has to set them straight. These are the words which I spoke to you, said Jesus, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. What things? You ask, well, then he opens their understanding. He does exactly what preachers do every Lord's Day morning, at least those who are faithful, to open the understanding by the word of God. Incidentally, there are many churches that can open the tap of your emotions, but can they open the tap of your understanding? And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. It was necessary for him to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. All the Old Testament, including the Psalms, prophesied this. I was there all along. Second, Christ is in the Psalms subtly and surprisingly. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee? Now, maybe especially for the younger folks, I need to explain what subtly means. Subtle is when it's not loud but soft, when it's not big but small, when it's not obvious, but it's suggested, it's hinted at, it's, it's subtle. I was listening to a, a, a theologian just yesterday, and I think he described it well when he was talking about different kinds of theology. Systematic theology is like uh, the skeleton. And then you have biblical theology, which is the nervous system. Both parts are absolutely needed. Well, there's there's a certain subtlety. Like good music. There are these subtle notes. These subdued themes. And those who are connoisseurs, they begin to tune their ears to listen for these things and to note these things. Well, Augustine said... The Old Testament was Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. Now, not absolutely concealed, but much more understated. So the Lord Jesus Christ was for the old covenant people of God in the Psalms, yet under Prophecies under figures, under types and symbols and shadows. They're the hints, they're the clues. You know, many times we think that, that prophecy, in order to be prophecy, needs to work like a math formula. Here are the clear numbers here, and when the equation is properly performed, here is the answer. Well, some prophecies may be like that. He must be born in Bethlehem. There's a specificity. In fact, when Herod wanted to know where the Messiah is going to be born, he convenes the leaders of the church at that time, and they say, well, the prophecy makes it very clear. but there is much that is in the Old Testament and in the Psalms revealing Jesus much more subtle. Think about it this way. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he is dealing with his enemies, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the Christ, the chosen one whom God would send into the world. And so Jesus has a little riddle for them, kind of like Samson. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Well, Jesus has a kind of a riddle for his enemies. And so we read in Matthew chapter 22, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David." Well that's clear enough. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him lord, saying the lord said unto my lord, sit thou on my right hand till i make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then call him lord, how is he then his son? Crickets. No man was able to answer him a word. Neither dared any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Now, was Jesus suggesting that there was a fundamental contradiction in Psalm 110? No. Some subtlety? Yes. But truth, God's revealed truth concerning his Christ, which they would not understand. Or think of it in in this way. We've treated this before, and perhaps you'll remember, but there was a prophecy also in Psalm 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, when you read that psalm for yourself, I think it's very clear that in the first case, David is speaking about his his own agony and the trouble that he experienced because Saul hated him and he wanted him dead. Remember, boys and girls, when David is playing that harp because Saul was just, he was having so many troubles in his head. And David plays this harp and he soothes Saul's spirit, but he cannot overcome Saul's fundamental sin and his jealousy and Saul takes a javelin and he throws it at David and David barely escapes that was really just the beginning David has to run from home for some of you this is this is not your first home Now, maybe you're not a refugee in the classic sense, but many people have come to these shores, whether at a faster or slower pace, on the run. Whether running from poverty or war and its aftermath, or perhaps they've even been hunted down themselves. We know some rather harrowing stories, don't we? Of some who had to run from country to country and learn new languages and then go halfway around the world. That's not an easy thing. And yet, even when David had escaped into the desert, when he had to put his parents in a foreign country because he feared for them for his sake, even then he feels trapped. And so poetically said, he says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I feel like an animal that's been cornered. I don't know what to do. But then in the fullness of time, although perhaps... Most, if not all, of the disciples had not yet connected all the dots. Then they saw the son of David with his hands and his feet pierced, literally. Now that's subtle. But then when it gets fulfilled, it's a glorious surprise. We see this time and again. Another prophecy from Psalm 22. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Seeing He delighted in Him, David felt the pain of the mockery. And then those very words were taken up in the lips of His enemies. Did they have any idea that they were more or less quoting Psalm 22? So, no, we don't read the word Jesus in the Psalms, but he's there. If you look closely, if you tune your ear for the subtle themes, and then, of course, we have the most glorious fulfillments. And when we see it fulfilled, we look at the answer key and we say, well, why didn't I see that? And then we go back and we say, it was right there staring me in the face, which is exactly how Jesus spoke to his disciples when they were so downcast and shattered in their hearts. Isn't this what had to be? It behooved Christ to suffer and then to rise from the dead the third day. Third, Christ is in the Psalms in his person. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee? Yes, that I is David, but there is another. There is another who takes up that I. In fact, it is more his than David's. He is David's son. I have made a covenant with my chosen. Unto David, my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Psalm 89. He is not only David's son, he is God's son. The very wonder of God with us. He who was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, could he have been born anywhere else? Even if we didn't have the prophecy from Micah. What city would you have thought the Lord would send his Christ unto? But he is not just David's son. He is the one whose ways are from of old. And the Psalms resonate with this truth. In Psalm 2, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. And then we hear it again, don't we, when Jesus is baptized. This is my Son. He is the man of God's right hand. Psalm 80. In the same psalm, he is, he is Israel's shepherd. And he is, he is David's shepherd. Now, we may not have seen that if we were singing Psalm 23 before the coming of Jesus. It's Jehovah, the Lord. Jehovah is my shepherd, sings David. Well, then when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he says, I And the Good Shepherd. It was Jesus after all. The Lord said unto my Lord, Christ is there. He is in the Psalms, in his Person, yes, behind a kind of veil of prophecies and shadows and types, but he is there. He is there, the witness of Christ, and by his spirit, for it is his spirit that produced the Psalms. They are his words, which is why the apostle urges Christians to engage in psalm singing. By saying, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's the word of Christ. He is there. He is there. Fourth, not only is Christ in the Psalms in his person, he is there in his work. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? In particular, he is there in his work of suffering and glory. He had to be made man to suffer because God cannot suffer. Suffering presumes need and dependence and weakness and limitation. God has none of those things in His essence. And that's a very important reality for you, Christian, because if God were like that, then your faith ultimately is resting upon sand. But he had to be made a man, this Christ. He had to partake of flesh and blood in order to save us, in order to redeem us. God could not go to the cross, but the one who was God could go to the cross because he took our flesh. And Psalm 8 tells us that he was made a little lower than the angels. He was humbled. He was brought low, even as David was brought low before he was exalted ever so high. So and much more, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to be betrayed by his own friend. David felt the painness, the painfulness of his own turning against him. He who ate bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And so it had to be. It had to be that the Christ should suffer in this most painful, agonizing way. He must be betrayed. He must be rejected of his own people. The stone which the builders despised has become the chief cornerstone. All nations had to unite, the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is how the early Christians understood things. These things were not some great uh, historic train wreck. By the mouth of thy servant David, thou hast said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, Pontius Pilate. Herod, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done." It had to be this way. It was necessary, said Jesus. Moses in the law and the prophets and David in the Psalms spoke of these things hundreds and hundreds of years before they ever came to pass. As we have already seen, The prophecy was fulfilled. They pierced my hands and feet. Now, how did Jews execute people? It wasn't by the cross. They would pick up stones and begin throwing stones until the criminal breathed his last. But in the amazing development of providence. It pleased God to have the Roman Empire come and govern Judea and to take the reins of capital punishment shortly before Christ was crucified so that this very unique and tortured way of executing a criminal would be applied to the Messiah. Now, who could have predicted that? they divided my garments upon my vesture they cast lots and so the Roman soldiers. did they did they even had they ever heard anything of the Jews good book? Probably very little. they just wanted this very nice coat. They gave me vinegar to drink. Yet another prophecy that comes from the Psalms. The very cry of abandonment, sometimes called the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me first on the lips of David, but ultimately and uniquely on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then as we have sung in Psalm 31, his last words, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now we sang those words. And when we come to our end, if we have the presence of mind and the strength, we also may say such words, but Jesus said them in a way that no one else could because these are his psalms. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Christ is in the psalms, in his work, in his sufferings, and in his glory. Again, just as David had to go through a humiliating and agonizing ordeal until finally God lifted him up and gave him the throne. so the Lord Jesus Christ and so much more. Even as the Lord Jesus went to the cross, something of the light of his coming glory was beginning to shine. And we see this in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem they began using the words of Psalm 118. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna to the Son of David! And his enemies, they want these little kids to quiet down. This is a shameful embarrassment. You close your mouth, Benjamin. Jesus says, have you not read... Out of the lips of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Psalm 8. After he died, he was laid in the tomb and he saw no corruption and the Lord gave him life. And he rose again from the dead, so fulfilling Psalm 16. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or in the grave. You're not going to abandon me there, Lord. You will not leave me. Neither shall you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's a step too far. For he who is most precious unto the Father and unto all the faithful. Then he rose again, just as the Psalms prophesied. And Peter, he takes this up, doesn't he? On the day of Pentecost. And here is this opportunity the Lord has just served up because all these people had come from all these different nations into Jerusalem. And you know, when you go to a very important city, you like to go see the special places, don't you? Peter says, if you haven't yet seen David's tomb, you really should. And you know what? David's inside, and you'd expect that. But you can also go to Jesus' tomb, and lo and behold, his body is not there. If you can get past uh, the guards trying to push people away, you will see that he is not there. But he of whom David spoke said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Sufferings and glory. Sufferings and glory the cross, and the resurrection. Without that, friends, there's no hope. And God told you about it all before. So why won't you believe it? Oh, but pastor, I do believe it. Do you really believe it? Or are you just nodding your head because that's what you've always heard Do you, not just, do you not just believe it? Do you believe Him? That's the only way for you to be saved. God is angry at you for your sins. He will soon call you to account on His day of judgment. And He will cast you into everlasting torments as His enemies. If you do not believe His Son, Believe it and believe Him. Trust Him who personally knew and fulfilled all the prophecies so that you can have your sins forgiven, so that you can be reconciled to God, so that you can go to heaven and be with Him forever. The Psalms also prophesied his ascension. He physically went up into the clouds. God is with shouts gone up, the Lord with voice of trumpet. He has ascended up on high and led captivity captive, Psalm 68. He was seated at the right hand of God, the Father. I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. He will subdue all things under him, according to Psalm 8, and as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15, and a part of that is the calling of the Gentiles. That so many of the psalms which call upon the nations to sing praises to him that they will in fact do so. That they will take up the Jewish Psalter and that they will sing as those who are sons and daughters of Abraham. And then he will return in glory to judge the earth. Our God shall surely come, keep silence, shall not He? Before Him fire shall waste, great storm shall round about Him be. And He will gather, He will gather all His people to Himself, Psalm 50, even those who have made a covenant with Him by sacrifice. And then, Then Jesus will sing, as it were, in a way that transcends all song. Rutherford puts this beautifully when commenting on our text, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. He says, he will more especially sing this when he shall have ended all. And got the goods in his hand that he bought so dear. In the midst of the congregation, every last one for whom I shed my precious blood. Then I will praise the Father in the midst of my brethren. Fifth and last, Christ is in the Psalms as head and members. He is in the Psalms as head and members. Christ is there as the head of the body. And he had to die for his people. He had to give himself for them. He had to obey the law for them. He had to be able to say, as David said, but in a perfect way, without any qualification, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands has he repaid me, so that when he fully obeyed the Father, unlike David, You know the nasty, dirty stuff that David did. Then he could do what would enable us to sing Psalm 32. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. When we sing the Psalms, let us see Christ as head and as his body, the church. And that Christ is in the Psalms, not only for his people, but in his people and through his people. By his spirit, he is in us. And so, when He calls us to Him, He calls us to suffer with Him. The servant is not greater than his master. As with Christ, so with the Christian. He loved me. He gave Himself for me. Now, I must follow Him in the path of faith and obedience, come what may. And that means... I will be on God's side. And that's going to make some people unhappy. But that's okay. Because I am united with Christ. And he is leading me through this veil of tears into everlasting glory. And so by his spirit, although I do it ever so imperfectly, I seek to please my Father. As he did. I seek to be passionate for him. The zeal of your house has eaten me up. The reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen upon me. Which is why the book of Psalms is specially given for a suffering church. Young people, you know the stories of our forefathers. And mothers, the two Marys, mother and daughter, tied to two poles off the shore of the ocean. And as the tide rose, until they began choking and swallowing that seawater and eventually died, what did they do? They sang psalms to each other. And the French Huguenots, as they were strapped to the pole and the flames began to burn, their tormentors would cut out their tongues. Why? Because they didn't want to hear them sing psalms anymore. Now, we may be living in days of relative peace, but let's sing these psalms with our suffering brothers and sisters. That's one way that we can sing those psalms of suffering. We are united with them. Let us, as Hebrews says, be bound with them. They're in jail. Let's sing with them, remembering them, because they are Christ's. One of his members is suffering. And one day... We'll want others to sing those psalms along with us if God appoints it. And let's learn them now because we just may not have a psalm book in jail so that we can be as Paul and Silas in the middle of the night singing praises to God. Friends, Christ is in the Psalms. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee, says Christ. Christ says, these are my Psalms. You may think that they're outdated, but they are not. I may no longer sing With you, physically, my very tongue, in the midst of the congregation. You do not hear my voice, and we have never heard his voice. But he says, I'm with you. I'm with you when you sing this. In fact, it's better to put it this way. You're with me when I sing. They are Christ's, and Christ shares everything with his wife. He doesn't keep any secrets. He doesn't have a private stash just for himself. He shares it with us, and he shares it so that we can take full advantage of them. This is Christ's praise, and this is our praise. Is any Mary let him sing psalms. And you know, you don't have to wait to be happy to sing psalms. There's so many psalms that are meant for when you're not happy. Just like Jesus, who though he was without sin, knew what you are feeling. So prize this book and praise Christ, and praise Christ, and praise the Father with Christ, who, according to Hebrews 2, the author quotes this very passage, he is not ashamed to call you brethren. What an honor. And if you are not yet his brother or his sister, will you not become one today? What stops you? What holds you back? Oh, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Some of you are lonely. Lonely. Some of you are heartbroken. Oh, come, come to him who is the most reliable companion, the most faithful and true friend who will never leave you nor forsake you. And he declares God's name to you now. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, glorious God, how thankful we are for the Psalms, and all the more we are thankful for the Christ of the Psalms. Now, by thy grace, make us Christians of the Psalms and in the struggle and in the combat. Help us, Lord, to sing, to sing those anthems of triumph and to do so in faith. O God, arise, let thine enemies be scattered. Bring all glory and honor to thy great name, Through Jesus, amen. You may be seated.